1: You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, we've been getting a lot of email from listeners lately that contains a lot of words that I didn't know. Yeah? And uh, I've grouped some of them together, and I want to see if you can guess what group of words they belong Here are the words. Three words. Bassador. snug. Got any ideas yet?
1: Oh, how they're related? Yeah. Ambassador, Schnug.
2: And Dalmadoodle.
1: Oh, these are all dog breeds. Yes. Oh, okay. Schnug is a Schnauzer and a Pug. Mm -hmm. Bassador is a Basset Hound and a Labrador. Yep. And then what's the last one?
2: Dalmadoodle.
1: Dal- a Dalmatian and a poodle. Exactly. Dalmadoodle. Okay. Yeah. Not yeah, to the... be
2: confused with a great denoodle.
1: Great denoodle. Which... <laughs> oh, Which is a yeah. really big dog. This is a show about words and language in the history of the world, all wrapped up in the culture that we call English or Spanish or French or Latin or you name it. Give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
3: Hi. Uh, this is Stacy from Arthogh. Wisconsin.
1: Welcome to the show, Stacy.
2: How can we help Hi. you, Stacey?
3: Um, I actually just have a question about a general, I guess, term of speech that I come across a lot. And my friend and I were using it, and I got to thinking, I wonder where that came from or the origination of it. And the, uh, the phrase is, keep them at bay.
2: Keep them at bay. And what made you think about this? Um, so I have a, a newborn. and oh, I congratulations. One of my
3: friends. thank you very much. I was speaking with one of my friends about the fact that, you know, oftentimes people will try to come up and touch your child or touch you while you're pregnant. And I said I must have been making awful faces because nobody had been doing it It must have been keeping them at bay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: That's what it takes, right? A big scowl to keep the touchers away.
2: (laughs) Well, yes, pretty much. (laughs) And it's working for you, it sounds like. It does, um, and then I asked her
3: if she knew where it was from, and she thought maybe it was a naval expression, which sounds perfectly reasonable to me, but I didn't know if that was particularly right.
2: Hmm, a naval expression. How would it be a naval expression?
3: Um, she mentioned that she thought maybe it was to keep them out in the bay, like away from the docks.
2: Oh, oh interesting. Okay, yeah, that would seem to make sense.
1: But, it's not but it, right? that's
2: not the answer. <laughs> oh, okay. The answer has to do with the baying of hounds during a hunt. You know, there's that really dramatic moment in a hunt where where the prey has run and run and run and run, and finally it can run no more, and it turns and it faces its attackers, mm-hmm. and all the okay. dogs are there barking and barking and barking. They're baying at at the animal, the so poor the, hunted so animal. So the
1: baying is the noise that the dogs make. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah like baying at the moon. Oh. So the
1: fox or the deer or whatever is yeah. cornered can't yeah. get away and decides to it out.
2: Yeah, turn and face. Or, they're, you know, they're just frozen there looking. It's, it's that so, moment. So
1: they're literally held at bay by the barking of the, the dogs.
2: Exactly. And so I guess, you know, oh. if you're sort of gnashing your teeth at these people <laughs> who are trying to approach your baby, it's sort of the same thing. I guess.
3: Uh, is that a fairly old expression or is that oh,
1: yeah.
2: a pretty recent thing? Oh, it's very old.
1: 1300s at least. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. So this goes back to a time when we were a people who hunted in that way with Mm -hmm. animals in the woods or the the fields and chased down our prey.
3: Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate it. And you guys are absolutely my favorite show that I hear on the radio. Oh, really? Excited to be able to
1: talk to you. Nice. Thanks. Thank you very much, and congratulations on the baby. Good yeah, luck to that sweet yeah, gonna, Thank
2: you very much. Are you going to play our show for your newborn? <laughs> I already sleep. do every Sunday at 9. You do? I make to breakfast. Sleep. You do? Well, tell us your baby's name. We won't get too close, but tell us your baby's name. <laughs> Vivian. Vivian. All right.
1: Good night, Vivian. <laughs>
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks, Stacey. Bye-bye. <laughs> Good night,
2: Stacey. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have a word or phrase on your mind? Call us about it, 877-929-9673, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
4: Uh, yeah, my name's Jasper Oliver. I'm I'm calling from Lynchburg, Virginia, mm-hmm.
2: and
4: uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I, I have a question for you guys today. Um, Lynchburg is is right in the heart of Central Virginia, mm-hmm. and my father, who... Um, moved here uh, to teach at Sweet Briar College back in the late 50s. He came here from Indiana. And when I was growing up, he had this expression um, that he would always use uh, in the summer when I'd get you know, brown and tan, and he would say that I was as brown as a berry. And I have, I've only met a handful of people that have ever heard of that expression before, um, and most of them are not native Virginians. And, you know, growing up in the country, I've been around a lot of berries, um, but I never saw any that were brown. The only brown berries that I could think of were nanny berries. And those are the things that are left on the ground after a herd of goats have come through. So
1: I hope that's <laughs> ah. not what he was talking about. Yeah, I don't think that's what he was talking about either. <laughs> nanny
2: berries. That's new word for me.
1: So your question then is why do we say brown is a berry if berries aren't brown? Exactly. Oh, any theories, any ideas, suggestions, possibilities?
4: You know, I thought maybe it could have something to do with a very ripe berry. Uh, I I know sometimes blackberries can, can get sort of a, a brownish hue to them if -hmm. they're really, really ripe or in the sun.
1: Yeah. Before they turn. Um, Yeah. So now it's, that's why i'm calling the experts well first let's just establish that brown as a berry is extant in every dialect of english around the world it is uh, idiomatic and is ensconced kind of permanently so it's not particular to virginia or any one people the second Mm -hmm. thing is it goes back well into the 1300s as a matter of fact chaucer uses Mm -hmm. it in a couple of his works that talks about a horse being brown as a berry Mm -hmm. and then the third thing is and this is what was probably the key point brown didn't used to mean exactly brown brown a long time ago and even in some of the languages that are related to english from hundreds and hundreds of years ago just meant dark a deep rich maybe red or a deep rich purple or a deep rich black but it just meant dark so in chaucer when he describes a a palfrey which is a kind of horse as being brown as a berry mm-hmm. he just means it's a dark colored horse And so that phrase from Chaucer, which you've got to remember, Chaucer was widely studied for a long time by all the learned people in the English-speaking world everywhere, became an idiom in in language. And it's maintained its shape and form for hundreds of years, even though the meaning of brown has changed.
4: Well, that's that is fascinating. And it's wonderful, too, because I I loved reading Chaucer uh, back when I was in high school. So is it in Canterbury Tales? Do, do you know some of the works? Where yes, it, it is. Be? It's in
1: the prologue to Canterbury Tales. Yeah. And then another oh, one of his books, Cook's Tale, I believe, is another one of his works.
4: Well, you have, have given an answer to a question that I've had for all, just about all my life. So thank you so very much. And now when I uh, use that expression and My son looks at me with, uh, you know, that odd odd look in his eye. I can explain where it
1: came from. Exactly. exactly Exactly. Father will know best. There we go. All right. Well, thank you
4: all again so much for taking my call.
1: Our pleasure. Take care now.
2: Thanks for calling. All right. Bye-bye.
1: So in Swedish, brun b r u n could mean a dark color, um, mm-hmm. black, red, red mm-hmm. brown. Always. Yeah,
2: well, you think of ancient Greek, and they talk about the wine dark sea.
1: There we go. It's Perfect. not red. It's right. dark. It's dark. Just dark, meaning like that dark it has wine. it has it's opaque and it has a richness of exactly. color, and it's not talking about the hue or the tone. Exactly. Interesting. Well, we do solve mysteries, or at least we try to. You can ask us yours, 877-929-9673, or email the story to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
5: Hi, my name is Tony from upstate New York.
1: Hi, Tony, how you doing? Hey, Tony.
5: I have a supervisor and a friend of mine who uses a phrase, and I think he uses it incorrectly, and he uses the term for all intensive purposes. Now, I believe he's using it wrong. I think it's intense and purposes, but my second part of the question is: is it a law term? For some reason, I believe I heard it in the past used as some sort of law speak. Is that
2: correct? Okay.
1: So he's saying intensive purposes. I n t e n s i v e p u r p o s e s, and you're saying right. it should be intense. I n t e n t s, and a n d purposes. Yes, that's correct. So for all intents and purposes.
2: Yep. And we can tell you that you are absolutely correct. Ding, 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 ding.
5: Okay. So now I have a little credibility when I uh, put him on the spot.
1: Yeah, the question is, do you put your boss on the spot, though?
2: Yeah, you might want to keep all these things and ponder them in your heart.
1: (laughs) Right. And that's why I haven't said anything up to this point. And I've been listening
5: to your show, and I thought this might be a good thing for you guys to help me sort out.
2: Well, Tony, we can do that. Actually, you're right. It was a legal term. Originally, the term was for all intense constructions and purposes. And this was back in 1546 under Henry VIII in England.
1: And it meant to cover all eventualities. Right. So it means no matter what happens, that's kind of what you're saying.
2: Yeah. And it does have the ring of those kinds of legal terms that are supposed to cover everything, like Mm -hmm. null and void. Intents and okay. purposes, that kind of thing. I mean, you don't really hear intent that much unless it's yeah. in, in the context of law with intent to murder.
1: Mm-hmm. Intent as a noun is kind of rare in mm-hmm. mainstream English. And yeah, it's one that's one of the reasons I mean. why people kind of reanalyze this expression when they mm-hmm. hear it and think it's probably intensive, which is a far more common mm-hmm. word. But intent or intense... Um, as a plural noun, just is kind yeah, of so rare. Yeah, it's it seems, a little strange. seems unlikely to people. Yeah. Now, oh, th- you well, had another question in there, which we should tease out, which is whether or not intensive purposes has become accepted. And I would argue that there's nobody who is accepting intensive purposes except people who don't know that they're saying it incorrectly.
2: Yep. Which I did for years and years and years and years.
5: Well, one of the things that I wrestle with is he is a friend of mine, and I think maybe it's my obligation to let him know he's using this incorrectly so that he doesn't go into a a formal uh, meeting or um, engagement somewhere where he uses this and, uh, you know, he may not look so appropriate when he uses it. Mm
2: -hmm. How do you think he would take that?
1: Uh, I think he would take it pretty well. Oh, okay. Because your motives are are pure, yeah. are good anyway. I don't know about pure, but they're good. Yeah, yeah. I would right. think saving somebody from embarrassing themselves would be important. Yeah,
2: I think to do that privately, we always advise doing that kind of thing privately. And um, you know, you could present it as, "Here's this really cool thing." Did you know this phrase goes all the way back to Henry the mm-hmm. Eighth?
1: All right, you are my life coach. And people have been miss <laughs> people have been mis <laughs> saying you. it as intensive purposes for at least a hundred years. Understood. Yeah. So he's not alone. That's the other thing. Give him a little bit of relief by telling him it's not he's not the only one doing it incorrectly. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's incredibly common. <laughs> As I said, I did it for decades. Uh, I, will,
5: I will take everything under advisement, and uh,
1: we'll see how it goes. Send us an update, Tony. Let us know, all right? All right. Thanks for your time. Take thanks, care now. Thanks, Tony. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. Airline language has always interested me. There's a a, a lingo about the cockpit and the cabin that sometimes doesn't make it to the passengers. And a word I came across recently really surprised me because I think I should have heard it before. And this is the name of the autopilot. The autopilot's name is George. On a lot is it of planes. Really? Yeah, George is always in the cabin. You put the plane on George, that means George is the autopilot. and
2: I didn't know. Yeah, that. then
1: the pilot and the copilot pilot can just kind of sit there and do crosswords or whatever it is they do on the <laughs> airplane. So, George, who knew?
2: Keep up the good work, George.
1: If you've got lingo in your trade, I'd like to hear it. 877 929 9673 or email us words at waywardradio.org. Thank you.
2: You're listening to A Way With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett.
1: And I'm Grant Barrett. And who's that masked man? It's John Chinesky, our quiz guy. Hello, John.
6: John. Zoom, it's me. I'm here. Hello. It's good to be here. I want to say to you, oh, 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 let's talk about phrases with two or more words that contain only the vowel O. Oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, here we go. For example, if I said, this is another way of saying podiatrist, you might say? Foot doctor? Foot doctor, Oh, oh, I see, so not the sound O, but the letter O. No, right, the letter O. Okay, very good. the letter O. Now let's warm up with some phrases featuring uh, just three O's, okay? Okay. If a comedian works blue, it means that he tells jokes that are described like this. Um, so mm. to work blue means
1: bad language or coarse language. Offensive? Um, f- offensive words? Obscene? Right. Obscene words. A, t-
6: a two-word phrase, remember, that means a joke that is offensive. Off-color. Yes, off-color. okay. Very good. So apparently the color in off-color is blue. <laughs> ah, <laughs> so uh-huh. Off-color yeah. okay. works blue. All right. Okay. This is a kind of music... Of the 1950s, characterized by close harmonies. The name is derived from the nonsense syllables sung by backup vocalists. Doo wop. Doo wop, right. This is the term for a series of acts at a nightclub. It describes where the acts take place, unless they're aerialists. A series something. of acts at a nightclub. Right.
2: So something floor.
6: Yeah. Uh, floor show? Oh, yes, there we go. Floor nice. show. There you go. Three O's right there. Floor show. Now, here are some four or more O oh phrases. Mm. It's another way of saying physical beauty.
1: Physical beauty.
6: Yeah. Four O's? Good looking. Oh, good. Yeah, well, you you, you, sh- you put an I in there, where it didn't have to be in there. Oh, good looker. No, good, good looks. looks. Good looks, yes. Very okay, good. Okay, there we go. Mm. Very, so very good So only looks. O's. Only O's. No, oh. no other vowels. Okay. See, to me, these two words mean nothing else Except macaroni and cheese.
1: These two words mean nothing else except macaroni and cheese. Comfort no- food?
6: Yes, Ooh, comfort nice. food. I was,
1: <laughs> I was thinking of something in noodles. Oh. No, that doesn't work. When e I there. think
6: comfort food, it's just macaroni and cheese. This is a fleet of military vehicles controlled by a single agency and available for use as needed. A fleet of military vehicles? Yes. Something troops? Mm, no. Troop
2: mover? No, they mm, have
6: no, if you're, you're on the base and you need, you need a Jeep. Something cool. Yes, oh, motor good. pool. Yes, very pool. good. Motor pool. Here we go. Here's the next one. Excuse me, sir, but can I interest you in a vacuum cleaner? How about a Bible? Can I sell you a set of encyclopedias? <laughs> door to door. <laughs> door. Door to door, right. These people are typically given cookies and apple juice in exchange for their vital bodily fluids. Blood donors. Blood donors. Blood donors, <laughs> Blood donors yes. Here's the last one. A hungan might use this kind of figurine to affect a curse. It's bad juju. Voodoo doll. Yes, a voodoo Ah. doll. Nicely done. Thanks, John. We'll talk to you next week when you're going to have another exciting quiz for us, right? I'll talk to you
1: then, guys. Yes,
6: Cheers now.
2: Thank you, John. And if you'd like to talk about any aspect of language whatsoever. We would like to talk with you. So call us 877-929-9673 or send your questions and comments in an email to words at waywordradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha.
0: Hi. This is uh, Oliver in Chicago.
2: Hello, Oliver in Chicago. Welcome to the show.
1: What's up? What can we do for you?
0: So I have um, a word that I have heard used in my family for a very long time. My grandmother uses it, and we've never heard anyone else other than her family use it before. And the word is goppy, Goppy. which we would spell G-O-P-P-Y. And it means to describe um, someone or something that someone has done as foolish. Mm -hmm. And it can be used G-O-P as a noun to describe someone as a fool.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you're not alone. There are other people that use these, but they spell it differently, G-A-W-P- G-A-U-P, sometimes with a Y. And what's really interesting here, this is all related to not necessarily the person being dumb, but looking dumb. So your your mouth is gaping open. It is related to the word gape. So we have a wide variety of spellings of, of these words, gop gawp, and goppus and gapey. and gawping, st- yeah, okay. So yeah, I've there... heard the
7: word
0: gopping before. Oh, you have? Yeah, there okay. we go. So
1: you're standing there slack-jawed looking like you just don't really have any sense at all, you know?
0: And and it's used as a noun as well?
1: Yeah, it's all over. So there's all of these various spellings of these words, and they're all connected to each other, and they all have something to do with uh, yawning or... Your mouth standing open. I learned this first from Mark Twain, who in a couple of his books and stories, he uses the expression gaping and stretching. He uses gaping. Mm. And by this, he literally means your mouth open, your arms out, like that. And you just look kind of like you're just letting the air out. I don't know what it is. Or oh, okay. Trying to and catch is, it, is it
0: restricted to a certain period nope. or nope. pretty uh, widespread?
1: Location? I would say that all of this is slowly declining. We do find less use of this again and again. It is tends to be dialectical at this point and a little archaic. You will find it pop up in literature and fiction here and there, and occasionally people will use it. Um, but it's, it's pretty rare these days. But all of these words are all related. I don't want to get too much into the when and where's and which came first. But G A W P is a really common spelling for GOP. It is directly related to GAPE, G A P E. And they all have okay. a variety of meanings that mean to look like a simpleton or a fool or an idiot, somebody with uh, just. Standards. Interesting.
0: And, and, and my grandmother uses it to emphasize the word fool. So she'd say, Oh, you goppy fool. Um, <laughs> nice and to emphasize it. a
1: little more huh? a little extra thrown in there just to double up on the foolishness yeah
0: exactly
1: and the octopus dictionary there's an interesting one i mentioned this a second ago gawpus g-a-w-p-u-s and there was a time in the eighteen eighteen hundreds 1800s when this was used to mean a silly person or, or a fool um that one never really caught on here in the in the u.s but it's interesting to see that how v- vari- how much variety there is in this
0: Interesting. Well they are my grandmother is is English, so I don't know if that oh, plays in? into it at all. But, Where
1: was she from? What um, part of England?
0: She is she's from London. Her her mother, my great grandmother, um, and her sisters would use it, mm-hmm. and their parents, my great greats, were Russian and Polish oh. Jews living in England. I was born in, in England, so I have this weird dialect oh, of Jewish, nice. English, East Coast, Midwest dialect all over Ah,
6: nice.
1: I love it. An That's eccentric a nice mix. voice. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, Oliver, so I'm glad we were able to connect your family word to the larger history of the world.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you so
1: much yeah, sure. for
0: uh, answering the full question for us. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Oliver.
2: Now. Thanks for calling.
1: Bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you've got a word that you think is just yours, but you're hoping it's connected to the larger patterns of the world, this is the place, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
8: Hello, this is Erin, calling from Fort Worth, Texas.
1: Welcome to the show.
8: Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. It's so good to get to talk to you. <laughs> I listen to you religiously, and I appreciate the fact that you entertain us and educate us every week. That's a that's a gift, so thank you. Oh, gosh. Ooh, it's thank
1: working. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Erin. How can we help you? What's on your mind?
8: Well, um, I need your help to understand whether a commonly used word is correct or not. Um, In my field, I'm in the field of public health. Obviously, prevention is ubiquitous in what we do, and um, I'm on the academic side, so I teach and I research. And I have a question about the word preventive, or rather the alternative word, which is preventative. Is this word preventative correct? Because as I understand it, the word is preventive. In formal writing, you see preventive, and in academic departments, the title is Preventive, Department of Preventive Medicine. But in common speech, you hear this word preventative all the time, and you're seeing it more and more in writing. And so is it also like a second correct form of preventive, or is it incorrect?
1: Wow, you laid out the question very well. Nicely put. Now, you have have an answer to that. What is your opinion? Now, you're in a position where you control or grade or judge the writing of other people, right? That's correct. Okay, so what do you think?
8: Well... When you come up through your own academic training, you're trained along this series of do's and don'ts in your own writing, mm-hmm. of course, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then you transfer it on to your students. And I was always trained that the word is preventive. Mm-hmm. And I used to work in a research center. We had a science writer. And she certainly felt the word is preventive, and nothing was getting across her desk that was preventative, you know.
7: Mm-hmm.
8: So I would explain this to my students that because you see this, this is not necessarily the correct word. But then... I saw thought, I thought so many good students toggle between the words preventive and preventative within a single paper that I decided to go online. And I just went to an online dictionary, and the word preventative was in there next to preventive. So then it made me question if my opinion of what was right really is, or if it was kind of like this word normalcy, which isn't really the word, but it became the word because we use the incorrect word so often. That makes
1: sense. Yeah, there's there's a kind of a tangle here. You you we used the a different word more often. You have to be careful with that word incorrect because the language okay. as a whole doesn't care one way or the other which word you use. the language includes them both? It's a personal or institutional decision as to whether or not you use a word. And you're in an interesting position, Aaron, because you represent the institutional voice and the people that you work with. And so you do have the right to say, please use the word preventive and not the word preventative, even though it's a real word and all the dictionaries include it. So you have that right to just make that judgment call and go forth.
8: But I don't want to say that if if that's a perfectly valid word to use. Ah. And I don't want to count it as as incorrect.
1: Yeah, perfectly. So that's
8: what I want to understand. Perfectly. Is, is this okay? Let's talk about that
1: adjective for a second, Martha, perfectly, because there are some problems with preventative, but most of them have to do with the judgments of other speakers of English. Yeah. And that's where you're getting kind of tangled up here, Erin, right? If I say preventative, Martha might look at me and go think maybe even without saying but think oh preventive is the word that he meant I, I wonder about this man's intelligence <laughs> right <laughs>
2: well I don't, I don't know about that I, I do know that preventive is far 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 more common like, if you look like at,
1: three to one or four to one yeah right? yeah, yeah
2: depending on and it's, especially in this country in Britain it's not quite that much of a difference
1: preventative is more common yeah there. yeah they mean the same thing yeah. there's no contextual difference as yeah. far as I know
2: yeah. But it's this weird group of words. I mean, I mean, we could get argumentative about it, right? <laughs> but actually, it's argumentative, right? Right. Or and, representative,
1: and we could also make a qualitative or qualitative judgment about it, right? And but you're looking for the authoritative or authoritative voice yeah, on this, aren't you? <laughs> exactly,
2: that's what I was thinking.
1: So we're joking out here because this kind of comes up again and again. We have these two different ways of ending certain words that end with a D or a T mm. sound, and. Um, the short answer here is both words are really a part of English, but there are judgments made against the people who say or write preventative and your students would be best to avoid it just so that somebody isn't going to start questioning their intelligence or the content of their message just because they made a simple word choice. And that's really what it boils down to. Yep. Do you want to cloud your message and confuse the minds of your readers who will start to doubt you by be boldly choosing this word? Or do you want to choose a word that they will safely never notice except to read it and absorb its meaning?
8: That is extremely helpful. That's exactly what I needed to know. Great. Thank you so much.
1: Glad to help. Let us know how it turns out. Give us an update in a little bit, will you?
8: Yeah. we Will do. Thanks for
2: your work.
1: Thanks, Aaron. Thank
2: you very much. Okay, take care Take now. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, maybe you should go to our Facebook page and talk about preventive and preventative. Or you can send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Or call us, 877-929-9673. I love collecting expressions of greeting and leave-taking. We talked recently about the expression, alight and come in Mm -hmm. when somebody invites somebody in. Another one that I found recently that I really like uh, that seems to be more common in the South, in rural areas, uh, that I think you'll appreciate is, uh, imagine that you've had the family over, for a visit from from someplace far away. And, uh, you know, you've had a great time and then you sort of stretch and you say, well, time to put the chairs in the wagon.
1: So that means it's time to pack up the furniture as if you stayed a long time and brought your whole household with you?
2: Yeah, yeah. Imagine, you know, if uh, back in the day you didn't have a whole bunch of furniture at your house and all these relatives come in and so then, They have to
1: bring their chairs with them, right. And 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 these days it would be lawn chairs or... Or that sort of collapsible yeah. chairs, camp chairs, right? Yeah, exactly. This is old-fashioned, western, southern? What is this?
2: Southern and old-fashioned. Okay. Time mm. to put the chairs in the wagon. I don't wagon. know that one. If you have an old expression you'd like to talk with us about, call us 877-929-9673 or send him an email to words at waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
2: Hi, my name is Jan Haller.
9: I'm calling from Taos, New Mexico.
1: Well, welcome to the show. What can we help you with?
9: Well, I had found this term that my mother had used. My mother's been writing some stories of, of her life, and um, she wrote a story about her in-laws coming to help her when my brother was born, and she used this term called hand-running. Hand she said over three consecutive weekends um, they came hand-running to assist the ailing new mother. Mm-hmm. And I was really curious about this term because I had never heard her use it before. And But here it was when she was writing these stories, and when I asked her what it meant, she said, um, well, right away she said, well, consecutive.
2: Mm-hmm. And
9: when I looked it up in the dictionary, that seemed to be true, but I was really curious about where this came from. Mm-hmm.
2: So you haven't heard anybody else use it either?
9: No, uh-uh.
2: Yeah. And what do you picture? Well, I, the image that
9: comes is, is uh, um, almost like a fire brigade of people handing— from one hand to another, that's what the image that comes to me. Oh, that's interesting.
1: Interesting. So hand-running, H-A-N-D, probably a hyphen. Yeah. R-U-N-N-I-N-G.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, this term has been around since at least the early 1800s, and it originated in England, actually.
9: Oh, that's interesting, because there's some... Uh English blood in the family. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Really?
2: Yeah, it's a, it was a dialectal term uh, used around Leeds and Yorkshire. And uh, it's interesting because it sort of follows the same migration patterns that people from that area followed in this country. So you, you hear this across the South and South Midlands, so I'm not, I'm not surprised.
1: Yeah, by the huh. 1850s, it was well ensconced in American English. And you'll still hear it, actually. It comes up, of course, in fiction, where mm-hmm. somebody's trying to get a flavor of a place and time. But mm-hmm. people still use it, um, like your mother. They still use it as an everyday ex- expression. I would say it's really rare, though, now, right?
2: Yeah, I don't hear it that often.
1: Handwriting well, and my mean... mother,
9: I never heard it when my mother spoke. I mean, this is the first time just in this writing. Mm-hmm. So oh, I, that interested me, too.
2: Yeah, so it means it means consecutively, like one uh-huh. thing after another, right? And. I don't know that we actually know the origin of it. I picture hands like measuring a horse. You know how you measure a horse mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, with with the length of your hands? I don't know. I've, I've seen a suggestion that maybe it has to do with poker and a running hand, but right, I don't know Right, where you keep getting that. good cards one yeah. hand after
1: another. Uh, I've seen an older theory that it comes from the textile mills. Mm. If you were a particular type of worker, your hands were continuously moving as the cloth was running past ah. and you are doing things. So you just imagine this giant loom, probably yeah. steam-powered yeah. Yeah. or at least diesel-powered or something, and the cloth is continuously running by and your hands are pushing this and pulling that and bumping this and mm-hmm. nudging that and pulling a lever punching a button. Mm-hmm. That's your job yeah. you know, 12 hours a day.
9: Huh. So kind of a continuous motion. Yeah.
1: But both of those theories are really speculative, and Mm -hmm. it's particularly problematic that either one of them could be true because the early uses aren't associated with poker or with textiles. Exactly. So when we find them in print, usually you'll find some kind of hint or suggestion of their milieu. I'm just not seeing that here for Mm -hmm. this. It's just kind of general, everyday uses of the expression right from the get-go.
9: So does that help? Yeah, it does. Um, And I'm just interested that it's from England. um, Mm -hmm. That's where some of the origin came from. But I'll... uh, I'll let her know what I found out.
2: Jan, thanks for calling. Take care now. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you have stories to share about language, we'd love to hear them. 877-929-9673 is the number to call, or you can send them an email. That address is words at org. Grant, you will recall that I was telling some Bible jokes earlier, which I'm allowed to do as a Southern Baptist preacher's
1: kid. <laughs> We're all allowed, aren't we? Oh. <laughs>
2: yeah, but I get special dispensation being a preacher's kid. A lot of people have been sending us more Bible oh, jokes. Oh, I know. Our inbox was full of <laughs> Bible jokes. <laughs> For example, did you know that God is a baseball fan? It says so very early in the Bible. What? It talks about in the big inning. <laughs> He says he doesn't like puns, but he secretly does.
1: It's the delight. You have this childish delight in your eyes when you tell these puns.
2: Let us know yours, 877-929-9673.
1: Got a minute? We need your
2: help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey.
1: Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success.
2: Thanks for making our show even more successful.
1: That's G-U-M dot F-M slash W-O-R-D-S. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. If you've ever tried to learn a foreign language, then you can probably relate to my experience, especially if you tried to learn it from a book. Back when I was in eighth grade, I had German class, and I still have seared into my memory some phrases from the book we used, which happened to be a circus-themed book. So we were learning things in German, like, der Elefant ist auf dem Ball. The elephant is on top of the ball, and uh, the goat is playing the piano. All these words that I (laughs) would-
1: Yeah, not real life situations really, right? German circuses aren't really a thing, are they? Exactly,
2: I've never had a chance to use those with a German (laughs) speaker. And when I was a little kid, I was trying to learn Spanish from the Berlitz records that my parents had. So I was up in my room, little nine-year-old, reading sentences that translated as, please send the valet up to my room.
1: Because I mean, <laughs> <laughs> naturally you had a valet. In
2: that, Well, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to have a valet. But you know what? There's a word for these kinds of sentences. Oh, really? I only found this out recently. They're called postillion sentences.
1: Postillion? Why?
2: Postillion. You know what a postillion is? No. Picture a horse-drawn carriage without a driver Mm -hmm. for it. The postilion is the guy who rides on a horse next to it and just makes sure that everything's okay. Sometimes you'll see Queen Elizabeth Uh, in a horse-drawn carriage without a driver, and there'll be a guy next to her in a uniform riding along.
1: P-O-S-T-I-L-I-O-N double yeah. L maybe or one L.
2: Sometimes it's okay. it's postillion. either, okay. it's either way. But the reason that these are called postillion sentences is because there were jokes going around in the early twentieth century about phrase books that had silly lines in them oh, yeah. like my postillion has been struck by lightning. <laughs> and in fact if you Google my postillion has been struck by lightning you'll find all these great examples of that.
1: Oh there are some classic mess ups in phrase books. but you're about German reminds me of something that Mark Twain wrote in one of his letters. You know, in the 1870s, his family was living in Germany. They were in Heidelberg, mm. and they were all trying to learn language. Right. And he, he writes about his daughters being conscientious and going to bed, mumbling German phrases to themselves, Sweet. So, and then waking up in the middle of the night and coming to their father and going, Father, did I have this correct still? <laughs> and he's got this line where he's talking about his own problems with learning German, just as you. And he's mm. like, he writes... I scorned that grammar, and it gratifies me to know that the few sentences I am obliged to utter daily in the course of trade always break all the laws of the German grammar at a sweep. So he, he, they're all caught up in this need for the day-to-day language, and yet finding German so insurmountable.
2: Yeah, he wrote that whole essay on uh, the awful German language. Yeah,
1: you can hear echoes of it in this letter that he wrote to a friend.
2: Yeah, and actually he talks about a postillion sentence in there. The bird is waiting in the blacksmith shop on account of the rain. (laughs) (laughs)
1: What? (laughs) (laughs) We'd like to hear your travails, your dramas, your comedies when it came to learning a foreign language, 877-929-9673 or email us words at waywardradio.org.
10: Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, good morning, Martha and Grant. This is James calling you from uh, Kailua, Kona, in Hawaii. Aloha and good morning. Aloha.
1: Aloha. How you doing there?
10: Pretty good. Uh, sun's just coming up. Still nice and cool. Nice. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. So, uh, I'm a, a recent uh, listener to your show, and uh, one just popped into my head like it's it's one of those phrases that uh I think it's okay to say but I was actually writing it one day and uh my question is about the phrase a whole nother. Oh yeah. I have a I have a pretty good idea of you know what's going on here but you know I usually say it and it feels okay but I wrote it one day and I was looking at it and I was like that's nonsense that's not, a- <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> what do you guys think?
1: Uh so a whole nother as opposed to a whole other. What were you writing? Yeah,
10: well I I actually wrote out a whole nother. And then I was looking at it and I was like, "Another? That's there's no way that's correct. There's no way that's okay.
2: <laughs> were you writing a yeah, term paper or a letter of complaint to a company or?
10: No, uh, no, it was probably just something on Facebook or something like
1: that. Okay, oh, on right. Facebook. Okay. Facebook, the big text hole of the era. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. So here we go. This is interesting. Let's talk about what's happening there from a linguistic point of view. And then let's talk about how it's received and how we should behave around it. A whole mm-hmm. nother Is basically what's called a meta-analysis where people hear the word another and it kind of sounds like the word A, the article A, and then followed by a space and then followed by the word another, as if N-O-T-H-E-R were a word. Now, another has been a word, but it's very rare. It's very archaic, obsolete. Nobody uses it except in this expression or I have a footnote and expressions like it. And so this meta-analysis kind of is joking, maybe it was intentional, maybe it was accidental, but it's very catching. Anytime you get this split, sometimes it sticks around and we keep using it. And the pat-set phrase becomes idiomatic, a whole nother. I have a whole nother reason for going out with her because she's awesome, right?
10: I had no idea that another at one point, even though it's archaic, was actually a word. I thought I was just corrupting. Uh, a whole other and another.
1: Yeah, this is a separate derivation, and we, etymologically, this another here isn't connected to the the, uh, the other another. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh,
10: oh, okay. <laughs> but
1: here's the interesting thing. We do say a complete another, and we do say a full another, and we do sure. say an entire another. And so what we're starting well, to okay. see here is that there's kind of a place in between a and another where we can put a word that approximately means the same thing as whole. Hmm. Yeah. Right? And so what we've come up here with a little bit of exploration on this whole concept of this word that was divided. And almost always, when people say a whole nother, it's a non-serious situation. You wouldn't say it to a judge or the queen or the pope or the president or police yeah, officer. Sort of. it's 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 pretty informal. And yet there's a little bit of hilarity that goes with it. It's often so associated with comedy or sarcasm or irony, that sort of thing.
2: But I think sometimes you just say it because you're just, you don't it's even the, think about it. Right,
1: right. It's become idiomatic. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's accepted yeah. as idiomatic, yeah. and, and there's nothing really fundamentally wrong with it because it's an idiom. And idioms kind of exist on their own and should not be broken up into the component parts, mm. as I almost always say. And this kind of meta-analysis we've done for some other things. The famous examples are apron and adder and newt, where we had the article – before a noun, and then we misheard it and divided it the wrong way. So, for example, apron, kind of the garment you wear in the tool shop or in the kitchen when you're making something that's messy, it used to be napron with an N at the beginning, but people heard an apron instead of a napron. This happens in English all the time where something that's transmitted from, from mouth to ear is misunderstood and reinterpreted in an incorrect way.
10: So saying uh, one word to write it, uh, you separate it into three different words, a, whole, another, and just N-O-T-H-E-R?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're fine with that. But really, if you catch it in your writing, you could change it. Just put a whole other or... Yeah, not, I think that's uh, what I
2: would do. I think I would stop yeah. myself like yeah. you did.
1: Or you I'm could say an entire... not to write formally basically
10: ever, so... Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's, uh, that's rather eye-opening. Thank you. Thanks, James.
2: Mahalo. Have
10: a good day, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye. 877-929-9673 is the number to call if you want to talk about language or send your questions and comments in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
11: Hi, this is Eric. I'm calling from North Branch, Minnesota.
2: Hello, Eric, from North Branch. Welcome.
11: Welcome
1: to the show. How can we help you?
11: I uh, lost my wife about a year and a half ago, and thankfully... She had an insurance policy, and because of that and Social Security, she is now supporting us better than I ever did as uh, the sole wage earner prior to her getting sick. And anyway, after she died, I started thinking about my situation and how it's improved financially, and I thought about the term uh, of someone, the old saying of somebody bought the farm, Mm -hmm. and I got thinking... Where did that term come from? And I could have Googled it, and I thought, I'd rather ask you guys
1: and see what you thought about it. Oh, I'm sorry for your situation, Eric. Um, Glad to hear that you um, are not otherwise financially concerned. It's good to have that taken care of. Yeah, bought the farm. We have a lot of euphemisms for death, and it's interesting. Probably in the last year, you've encountered a lot of different ways that you've been talking to people about the way— uh, we're uncomfortable just to point out, as you just did, and actually both Martha mm-hmm. and I, I, think, kind of reacted, just point mm-hmm. blank said, I, I lost my wife, she died. Because um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we have all of these ways that we talk about death um, indirectly. Yeah,
2: tiptoe around we it. We tiptoe
1: around it. And bought the farm is one of the more jocular ways, typically, that we do it. We don't. You won't find that in an obituary, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, right. There's two theories behind this. One of them is that it came from around World War Two, maybe nineteen forties or nineteen fifties, when there was a lot of experimentation in high powered jets and airplanes and test pilots would sometimes crash on a farm and then the government would pay a lot of compensation to these farmers. And in that way you might be said it might be said that the pilot that crashed the plane bought that farm. However, sure. the problem with this is it it sounds a little too perfect, and actually mm-hmm. in the language trades, when we hear a perfect story like that, it's almost always wrong, mm-hmm. which kind of surprises people. And we also have older versions of this that have nothing to do with planes, like bought the plot or bought the shop or bought the telephone pole. If you had a car accident and you ran into a telephone pole, you might be said to bought the, to have bought the telephone pole. And even older than that, from the UK, there is to buy it. Like if, if someone um, dies, you might say he bought it. He bought it in the fields of Flanders. I mean, he died there, and mm-hmm. so right. more than likely bought the farm is just a reinterpretation of these older ones, including, including bought, bought it, and it refers to the plot of dirt that we end up in if we're buried. Oh, we mm-hmm. literally sure, yeah. buy a plot, a, a worm farm, so to speak, and that's where we yep. that's where we stay. Hmm. So it's more of it's that a very very small farm
11: that's about. Uh, six feet by
1: yeah, three feet. Yeah, exactly. Right. Six by three and six deep, right?
11: The reason I thought about it was because, um, you know, I thought, well, if somebody had an insurance policy and they were to die, you know, that insurance policy could pay off the mortgage and they, that person could literally buy the farm, you know.
1: That's yeah. What, mm-hmm.
11: I was yeah. wondering if, it, if that was where
1: it came from. If that has been speculated before. I've seen it in a couple of books of word histories. Um, where they have suggested that, particularly in the case of soldiers, when they got the check from the government after a soldier died, it came back to their parents or the spouse who was left behind, that then that would put them on a financial situation where they could literally buy their house or buy the back 40 or buy the, right. the garden plot that they'd always wanted. But again, the problem with this is the etymological history of these the related terms, and it's a continuous kind of path, is much older than those stories. The stories kind of come... After the term was already ensconced one way or the other in the English oh, language.
11: That makes sense to me. Um thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, sure. No problem. Give us a call another time. Let us how let us know how everything's turning out, all right?
11: Actually everything is turning out pretty good. It's um you know, as good as it can be. So
1: All right. Good. Take care now. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thanks,
2: Eric. Bye bye. If you'd like to talk about a word or phrase, call us 877-929-9673. talked before on the show about baby moon, You know that expression.
1: Right. That's when uh, a couple has a new baby and they take time away from all their friends and family to bond with the child and everyone else is kind of excluded.
2: Well, yes. Or they take a baby moon right before the baby is born. They take a trip, you know. Ah, right, sort right. Of to
1: the last hoorah before the child the takes over. The last hoorah.
2: Mm. Exactly. Well, we got an email from Jenna Schnuer, who is a travel writer, and she was sharing with us a news release that somebody sent her that was talking about, quote, a growing travel trip referred to as honey-tearing, where married couples seek new ways to add meaning to their honeymoons or anniversaries by incorporating local volunteer work. This publicist is clearly trying to publicize the term honey-tearing.
1: Right. I give that one almost no chance of succeeding. Zero. Let's... let's...
2: (laughs) Honey tearing. Let's strangle it now. <laughs> yeah, that sounds
1: like there's violence in the relationship. I know, but the concept's okay. Volunteering in, in itself oh, is well, sure. pretty good, right? Absolutely. But wait, they they volunteer while on their honeymoon.
2: Or. On an anniversary. On to an anniversary. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah.
1: show the community. I mean, I like their... the
2: idea, mm. but the word I think is awful. Honey tearing.
1: Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of awful words. They just don't last. The the streets are littered with words that have failed.
2: Let's hope. 877-929-9673.
1: Hello. You have a way with words.
2: Hello.
7: Good morning. This is Iris Chinook from huh? High and Palm, California.
1: Hi, Iris. Welcome to the show. Hello,
2: Iris. What can we do for you?
7: Well, um, I was recently watching some reruns of The Andy Griffith Show, nice. and uh, he had a phrase on there that I had never heard before, and I'm just kind of wondering what the history of that and what it means. He said, uh, he was talking to his girlfriend, and he said, um, you are just a bird in this world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he meant it as a compliment?
7: He meant it as a compliment. Yeah, the the context of it was very flattering. He was saying, you know, you are just something else.
2: Mm. And, uh,
1: a bird in this world. A bird in this world.
2: That was appointment viewing for our family. Yeah, yeah. We always was got it? together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was it like that for you? Well, it was. I'm, I'm 57, uh-huh. and I oh, yeah. remember it from
7: my childhood, and it was so fun to get it on DVD again and watch it mm. kind of back to back and yeah? see... Ron Howard, I mean, what Cutie. What? what <laughs> he was? I mean, in the world, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really a, a very sweet, uh, kind show. Yeah, does it know? still
2: hold up? Today, yeah, yeah, it
7: really does. I I enjoyed it immensely. We, my husband and I, watched it and we just had a great time. And it was a, it's just a a very uh, sweethearted show.
1: Yeah. You yeah. mentioned that you were watching reruns. Now, did you know that the fan club for the Andy Griffith Show is called the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club?
7: No, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. So if you
1: Google you that, join. Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club. They have a ton of stuff on their site about the show. It's really it's a fun community of people. But they have particularly called out this phrase um, in a couple different places as being noteworthy because Andy uses it in more than a few episodes. There's an episode where Aunt B has made a pie and she's kind of fishing for compliments and and you know it's not the the line here is eaten doesn't always speak loud enough meaning just because uh-huh. somebody eats your food doesn't mean they like it. Oh, so that's nice. So she goes <laughs> so she goes hunting up compliments. And so she's kind of, like, deprecating her own pie, and Andy's trying to build her up, and she keeps, like, putting down her pie. And then he says, well, maybe your apples was too ripe. And she says, Andy Taylor, that was one of the best apple pies I ever made. He says, well, I tell you, since it was so bad, maybe we better eat it up and get it out of the way so we'll make room for another pie. Aunt B, you're a bird in this world. You have to have a little bragging, don't you? And that's that's the relationship right there, right?
2: Oh my gosh, you are a bird in this world. And I don't see this phrase anyplace no. else except in the Andy Griffith community.
1: Yeah, I think that the people well, who wrote for that show coined this phrase, yeah. or else Andy Unless Griffith Andy himself oh, came up with it. Yeah. Really? Yeah.
2: yeah. We don't yeah. see
1: it in any of our dictionaries, none of the dialect books, a full mm-hmm. text search of the newspapers and the books. Everything that we have, it doesn't come up anywhere except associated with this show.
2: Yeah, I was hoping that maybe it had something to do oh. with Latin rara avis, or awis, as you say in Latin, rare what? bird, but... Uh, Meaning an unusual uh-huh. thing. Like, yeah, mm, odd duck. Or, odd duck, I yeah.
7: see. Odd oh. duck, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was a... wondering if it just meant, you know, kind of... Um, Maybe they just liked the way they were saying the words mm-hmm. uh, bird and world. Yep, you know, I they think, liked that uh, yeah. aspect
2: mm-hmm. of it or something. Yeah, I think that internal rhyme probably had something to do with it as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Iris, I would say well, that you indeed are a bird in this world.
7: Oh, <laughs> thank you. And thanks for looking it up yeah, and sure. trying to to hunt it down. That's that's fun. Thank you so much, right, Iris. well, thank you so much. Take care now. Take care. Bye. Uhhuh.
1: Bye-bye. We hear all kinds of things as we read and watch and listen. If there's something that occurs to you, something you want to share or find out more about, this is the place, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Things have come
2: to a pretty pass. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week to chat with us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud.
1: Check out our website, too, at waywardradio.org, where you'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, mobile apps, and a discussion forum, and you can listen to hundreds of past episodes for free.
2: You can leave us a message anytime at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language, or ask us to resolve language disputes at home, work, or in school. You can email us, too. That address is words at waywardradio.org.
1: Our senior producer is Stephanie Levine. The show is directed and edited this week by Tim Felton. We have production help from James Ramsey. Away with Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. This show is coming to you from the Track Recording Center at Studio West in San Diego, California.
2: Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett.
1: And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye. And I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato,
7: tomato. Let's call the whole thing off.
0: Let's all Go the whole thing off then we must part and oh
4: if we ever part then that might break my
2: heart
4: so if you
2: like pajamas and i like pajamas i'll wear pajamas and give up pajamas for we
7: know we need each other so we
2: hey listeners we have a favor to ask